This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Om Sadam to our listeners. Welcome to Saturday News number 877. So today we'll be hearing a talk given by Arvind from Prasanti on the topic of Make God the First Priority in Life. So I'm Gulab Bilimoria and I offer my most loving and humble pranams at the Lord's feet of our beloved Bhagwan. So let's get straight into this talk. We are going to listen to a talk by Brother Arvind. Arvind needs no introduction to the Radio Sai listeners. And this talk is on the theme, Make God the First Priority in Life. This talk was delivered in the Satsang Hall on the 11th of April 2016. Offering my most humble pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dearest Swami, respected elders, dear brothers and sisters, whenever we get the opportunity to speak in Bhagwan's presence, we always prostrate before Him before the talk, seek His blessings, and whenever I get the opportunity, I pray to Him, Swami, please speak through me, please you make the speech. Even before the speech is actually made, we offer it to Swami. We want Him to take over. While it is very nice and appreciable, from one perspective it looks like a kind of escapism, like you are trying to take away all the responsibilities that you have towards preparing a speech, ensuring that it is delivered well. You just say, Swami, all the praise and blame is left to you. You do as you please. I don't care what the world thinks, Swami, as long as you are happy. I want you to be happy. It looks like then I can do whatever I want and get away with it because I am not doing it to please the audience. I don't care about the world. I am only seeking Swami's happiness. It looks like escapism, only we forget that Bhagwan's standards are very high. It is often said that you need not bother about pleasing the world, just please God, it's enough. Because pleasing God is not so easy. It's not so easy at all. On a lighter note, when I had to join Radio Sai, when Swami told me to join Radio Sai, He told me, go make Venkatraman happy. Swami will be happy. And so that was the way he told me to join Radio Sai. I went and told to Venkatraman sir, that sir Swami has said like this. Then he told me, Swami said like that because he knows that you can please Swami, but it's very tough to please me. So (laughs) he said he is a tougher taskmaster than Swami and that's why Swami said like that. So also when we say that, don't bother about the world, just please Swami, that's enough. It doesn't mean that it's an escapism. It means greater responsibility. It means greater dedication is required, greater determination is required. On the similar note, you know, the other day I was just reading the glorious concepts that are there in the Bharatiya tradition. 
Nowadays, we have many people who say, you know, you know I don't want to get married. It's too much of a burden. I want to be free. I want to be wandering. I'm a modern day yogi. Because, you know, there is this kind of a uh, feeling that, yeah, though the yogi, though the wandering gypsy nomad has some kind of, some physical difficulties, may not have an air conditioning at home, may not be very comfortable, but more or less he's free of all the burdens. So it's better, why to get into the samsara only? No need. Let's be a yogi. We use yogi as a way to escape family. Swami has given a hierarchy. Say the smallest part of the hierarchy is the individual. The individual is a part of society. Society is a part of nature. And nature is a part of God. He says Vyashti is part of Samashti. Samashti is part of Srishti. And Srishti is part of Parameshti. Which is God. So when we are young and when we are growing, we have responsibility only towards ourselves, Vyashti. As we physically grow, if we also want to grow in the spiritual sense, we have to undertake responsibilities larger than our own little selves. That is the reason why the institution of marriage is held so highly. Because now you are no longer thinking of only your little self. You are still selfish in the sense that we may think that it is our family. But at least we have grown from thinking about me, me, to my family at least. Possibly my better half, my children, my parents, at least I have grown a little broader. So from that perspective, when a person decides to dedicate himself in social work and says, I can't, you know, I can't allow marriage to come in the way, it's not that he is not married. He is just married to something larger. He can give up taking up responsibilities towards a family when he is ready for a higher responsibility. In a company also, if you join as a clerk, you can give up clerical duties only when you go higher and take up higher duties. So therefore, if a person is actively involved in social work and therefore is not marrying, it doesn't mean he escaped family. He has just taken on greater responsibilities. And then we have the yogis who take up responsibilities not at the samashti, not at the srishti level, but possibly at the parameshti level. It's not escapism. It has become like that because possibly many people do like that in the modern day. But becoming a yogi meant being ready to take on the greatest responsibility and therefore being ready for the greatest sacrifices. Compared to when I am single, when I am married and I have a family, I have to make more sacrifices. When I take up working for society, I have to make greater sacrifices. When I am with the family, there are sacrifices at the individual level. When I take up societal causes, there are sacrifices at the family level, greater sacrifices at the individual level. When you go higher, then there are sacrifices at the societal level, greater sacrifices at the family level, greatest sacrifices at the individual level. That's why we see that what we see happen, happens in the case of all, whomever, you know, talk of Buddha or talk of Ramakrishna Paramahamsa, talk of Ramana Maharshi. That is what it is, not escapism. It is taking on a higher duty. So too, you know, today's theme is making God our first priority and first resort. 
we've often heard of turning to God as the last resort. So when we say let's turn to God as the first resort, just like there is a tendency to mistake a yogi for a lazy fellow who is just giving up responsibilities, it might be mistaken that taking God for the first resort means, ah, I will not do anything, ah, God you take it. If it is God, it's all blamed on you. It's not, it's not that way. You know, we have often heard, we have often seen of people turning to God as a last resort. The other day I came to know of the experience of a certain Devdas. His name, his name at home is Mr. Roshan. He was born in 1976 in Mauritius. And as a child he was diagnosed with ALL. ALL stands for Acute Lymphoblastic Leukemia. It's a kind of blood cancer where the lymphocytes, one kind of cell, are produced in large numbers in a cancerous manner. They interfere in the working of all other cells. Today, ALL is manageable. It's also treatable and wholly curable. But today is 2016. In those days, a realistic chance of survival was about 9 to 10% in the 1970s. Medical science had not advanced so much. And it can get very dangerous and it infects, it affects usually the little ones. So Roshan was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Actually there is an entire story about this on Radio Sai, uh, where also the doctor's certificates, what they have printed, what they have written. There is one Dr. Tank, she was treating him. He was admitted in one of the best children's hospitals in London. I think that hospital is located on Ormond Street. And there they said, yeah, we have done everything possible. It's a very painful and long treatment, radiation, chemotherapy. Yeah, this is all we have done. Now we just hope, uh, we pray that he improves. This hope, whenever doctor says hope and pray, unless he is a devoted doctor in the sense that he is saying that because of his faith in the Lord, in all other cases, when a doctor says, let's hope and pray, it means that I can't do anything else now. You know, it's all left to God. I have done my best. Now God has to do the rest. Otherwise, that's it. That's all it is. It means the doctor has turned to the last resort. Now it's God. That's why. Because medically, we have done everything possible. In fact, every doctor in, uh, in the ancient Bharatiya scriptures, no doctor ever claimed to heal a patient. He would say that Vaidya Narayano Harihi. Only the Lord is the healer. I am just an instrument. I am just dispensing medicines and giving advice. The healing has to be done by the Lord. Somewhere down the line we have forgotten that. And therefore we turn to God as the last resort. Because if we truly believe that I am just a dispenser of medicines and the healer is the Lord, the Lord will always be the first resort because he is the only healer. I am just a dispenser of medicines. But somewhere along the line we feel we are the healers. So we feel that we will do our best. Don't worry. The child will be saved. The child will be fine. Oh, oh, things are going bad. To finally saying we have done our best. We can only hope. We can only pray. Because the Lord is the last resort. That's what happened in the case of Roshan. And when his father heard this, he felt very depressed. He decided to go out for a walk. He just walked out of the hospital. They would take back their child home. As he is walking, 
a few meters away he comes across singing bhajans are going on and coincidentally on that very street there was a sai center and the bhajans were on he walked in he sat there for the bhajans he saw the picture of swami he remembered having seen that picture on a book somebody had given him some time ago he just felt little calm sitting and listening to those bhajans he sat for the bhajans after sitting for the bhajans after the aarti got over the people there were you know they saw that this was a newcomer so they went and spoke to him he just broke down telling them of the difficult situation he is in with regards to his child they just all together prayed for him and gave him a garland of roses that was on swami's photo and said yeah you take this as prasad pray take vibhuti let's all pray let's see he walks back to the hospital and he kept this garland next to his son a few hours later before the discharge they saw that the entire sheet was red with blood and the doctors were summoned instantly they came running they were wondering what's happening where is this boy bleeding from and they checked no the boy was not bleeding from anywhere where did his blood come from they trace back the roses are bleeding there and they were really shocked by this bizarre happening they discharged the boy because they didn't know they couldn't explain it that's what we usually do when we see a miracle instead of filling filling ourselves with thrill and delight that this is the lord's glory we just get puzzled and think that oh okay this is something we'll see we'll try to find out what this we have not yet been able to explain it we'll explain it later that's what we think so that was what happened and they discharged him but strangely this bleeding of roses gave some strength to the parents they were hoping that some miracle may happen that was when again a few weeks later roshan became very sick and he got up and he told his parents that you know a man with fuzzy hair in an orange robe came to me i could see him in the in a rose flower there and this was the same sai baba that his father had seen so they were very thrilled but he had gotten very sick so they took him to the hospital again and the doctor's report at that time is also with us at radio sai they have added there that because of this um cancer treatment or whatever the boy is now hallucinating also that's what they have written he is suffering from hallucination but the father you know he was somehow convinced this is not a hallucination this is not hallucination at all that was when swami comes in the father's dream and says you come i'm waiting for you well, let's meet in india that's it whatever the doctor may write officially in the report whatever they may sign off no problem the father makes the trip to india in 1979 doesn't know anything it's very tough to come to prashantinilyam he comes he arrives at prashantinilyam he comes to the darshan hall he is sitting there and he is picked for an interview along with a group and he enters the interview room sits with the group and as swami sits there the first thing swami says is not to the father but to all the other members of the group he says you know that man he is coming from london doctors say that his son has got cancer but i am his son's doctor and i have cured that cancer and and you know the, the father is in tears 
and he gets up goes close to swami swami says you don't worry at all materialized vibhuti gives him and says you give this to your child he'll be fine and then swami says in your back pocket you have a letter right give that to me so he gives the letter it's redundant because whatever he has written has already been answered here that's it the father returns back and the son has gotten worse the doctors recommend stronger dosage greater chemotherapy and the chemotherapy seems to be you know it's like a it's like what they do as war on terror these days you no know, go bombard a country so you don't know whether the bombardment to the country does good for it or does worse for it many times we see that such kind of war on terror has re- has resulted in worsening the situation before so too it is with cancer treatments you don't know whether it's better to live properly for 6 7 years with a cancer or undergo chemotherapy extend your life by 3 more years and live a horrible life for 10 years it's really a terrible thing and even in the report you know they have written there the doctors have written that we give a 30 to 40% survival chance we think that 30 to 40% is a good enough chance but that 30 to 40% chance of survival for 5 years that is what they had given roshan so see taking all this into consideration the father the parents said you know used to, we we just taper off and stop this medication we don't want we'll just give vibhuti that's it that's all they did that is all they did 3 years later the doctor tank has written herself the report saying that this child has been off medication for the last two and a half years and as i see him now he is perfectly fine there's nothing wrong dr tank became a devotee became one of the active members serving in many medical camps in the uk and by the way roshan tora is a man in his 40s still comes to prashantilyam for darshan once a year so you see <laughs> there's nothing impossible for god when we turn to him as the first resort why don't we turn to swami as the first resort because it as i said it's not as easy on the face of it it appears like escapism i'm reminded of another experience of a student you know this was in 1969 on the 9th of june 1969 bhagwan inaugurated a college for boys at brindavan the satyasai arts and science college it was the second college to come up the first one was at anantpur on the 22nd of july in 1968 bhagwan had inaugurated that college of course the buildings and the facilities infrastructure all came much later when in brindavan the college was inaugurated the boys would stay in a hostel which was more or less like a shed there was nothing there just an empty space everybody living cramped together but those were the most beautiful days because on many occasions you would be woken up in the morning by bhagwan swami would walk in it was right beside his residence the place where the kalyan mandap stands today at brindavan that was the place where there was a shed and the boys would do everything they would take care of the cows they would take care of the deer they would do some farming they would help in cooking they had to manage by themselves but they didn't mind at all because swami would join them in many of the activities and it was unbelievable for them imagine swami waking you up for suprabhatam swami waking you up saying it's time for you to wake me you know how beautiful it is swami joining in for the bhajan swami teaching the bhajans swami seeing how you are harvesting the crops 
Swami teaching how to cook. Swami being there guiding you as you make the food. It was also beautiful. You know, fast forwarding a little ahead on a similar line, Dr. Ravi Kumar, who is currently the warden of the Brindavan hostel, he was saying how during a summer course, when um, there was a kind of a debate as to who does better cooking, the boys or the girls, see, uh, by default it will be the girls who will do better. Swami on behalf of the boys said, why? They will also make, boys also know how to make chapatis. Boys know, they will know how to make puris. And the next day Swami went to see because he wanted the boys to keep up his word. And he saw there as they were rolling the chapatis. There was Africa, there was Australia, there was Asia, Amoeba, all, all unknown kind of shapes coming. To Swami who taught them, Swami said, do one thing. You roll that atta over this whole big slab of stone, you know, stone slab. So the atta was rolled on the whole stone slab. Swami brought a plate and Swami brought a, a tiffin dabba, a tiffin carrier cap. He said, if it's puri, you cut like this. If it's chapati, you cut like this. Then you will get perfect circles then, to make puris and chapatis. And then you know you will be able to hold up my word. That was how, you know, this is much later. So you can just imagine how it would have been in the 69. So those are days of wonderful physical proximity and the boys were enjoying it a lot. And then Swami said, you know, as the strength of the boys grew in two, three years, the college had more number of students. They were growing and that accommodation was not sufficient. So Swami said, it's time now to build a hostel. If we look at any of Swami's projects, it's always been like this. Swami has started small and grown it organically. On its own, little, just like a child is grown, you know, you don't, you don't give birth to a 10 year old and in next two years make him a teenager and then tell, chalo, let's start working. No. You spend 20, 22 years, let the child become an adult. 23, 24, then you start working. That's how Swami has fostered. Be it the hospitals. Of course, the super speciality was built in one year. But the seeds were planted much before 1956. Swami planted seeds for the general hospital. And it has evolved. Swami has ensured that there are people there to take care of the projects before starting the projects. Swami has always said that the greatest wealth is manpower. Humans, people are the greatest wealth. In fact, he turned the MBA course, he said it's not MBA, it's MMM. It's not Master of Business Administration, it's Master of Man Management. Swami said man has all the ability, just learn how to manage men and everything will be done. It's not about any business, it's not profit, nothing of these. So too has been the case with the educational institutions. Swami started off small and then grew it. It's always been like this. So, when the hostel was needed, Swami called Colonel Jogarao and he told him to draw plans. Plans were drawn. By that time, a magnificent university building had come up shaped like a big dam. Swami wanted it like that because he wanted it to show that it holds great potential. A dam holds great potential. It can supply, irrigate, bring rich harvest. The same potential can be used to generate electricity. Everything it can be done. So a usual dam holds water potential. This is holding human potential. So that was built. And so next to that college building, a hostel building plan was proposed. 
एंड भगवान वॉज टू गो एंड डू भूमि पूजा फॉर दैट हॉस्टल बिल्डिंग कंस्ट्रक्शन दैट वॉज वेन यू नो द स्टूडेंट रियलाइज वॉट वॉज गोन हैपन फ्रॉम स्टेइंग राइट नेक्स्ट टू स्वामीज बंगलो दे वुड नाउ बी मूविंग ऑलमोस्ट टू हंड्रेड टू थ्री हंड्रेड मीटर्स अवे नियर द कॉलेज दे डिट वॉन्ट बिगर रेसिडेंस वॉट टू डू नाउ यू कैन गो टू कर्नल जोगाराव यू कैन गो टू यू कैन गो टू द इंजीनियर्स रिक्वेस्ट दैम कैन यू चेंज द साइट नो डिफरेंट स्टूडेंट्स वे ट्राइंग डिफरेंट थिंग्स वन ऑफ द बॉयज डिसाइडेड डू स्ट्रेट अवे वॉट ही डिसाइडेड डू वॉज समथिंग स्ट्रेट फॉरवर्ड सिंपल turn to swami for, as his first resort why to go to any other thing he wrote a letter to swami he wrote a letter to swami and bhagwan took that letter when swami had come to that hostel and he was reading the letter after reading that he turned to the boy and he asked can i read this letter loud for everybody else the boy said yes swami and swami read out where the boy had written that swami for us what matters most is you swami you are there here for us it doesn't matter what difficulty nothing we don't want a new hostel but if swami you have decided that you have to build a new hostel there please build a new residence for yourself also there please come there and swami turned to jogarao and said see jogarao what they're saying what should we do now he said swami all plans are drawn you have to do bhumi puja there tomorrow and swami turned to principal at that time principal was i think mr narendra Swami asked him, Narendra, what do we do? He said, Swami, the boys, they're staying away from their parents. Swami is everything for them. You know their heart, Swami. Who am I to tell anything? Swami said, Yes, yes. So let's build the hostel here only. So Colonel Jogarao said, Where, Swami? Where? Here means where? There's no space. We need space for a big hostel. It's not as if we can break down this temporary and break down the shed and build a hostel because the space is not enough. Where do we have such a big space? Those days it was Swami's bungalow. Next to Swami's bungalow, the shed. Next to the shed, one big tank, water tank, pond. Swami said, next to that, Swami want to build in the pond in that in the tank. Yeah, we can build in the tank. You know, the most crazy idea, but that's where the Brindavan hostel currently stands. From outside, it looks like a three-story three sto- three building. From inside, it's a four-story building because there's also a basement. Because it was a tank, it was a 15 to 20 feet deep tank in which the hostel has been built. And yes, the most crazy, illogical thing, expensive it is to do all that, but none of that mattered. And God did it. Even to this day, the hostel stands there, thanks to that letter of that little boy. So as I said, turning to God. works wonders it works magic but at the same time it's not easy that's why we are not able to turn to god always because though though we can look at those who turn to god and say they are escapists they are trying to run away from doing their efforts turning to god as a first resort doesn't mean escapism that's why the topic is making god the first priority and the first resort you can turn to god as a first priority as the first resort only when you have god as a first priority and what i'm stating now is not a condition that is the way it is unless god is your first priority you can't turn to him as a first resort because irrespective of how much ever theoretical knowledge i gain i will always try to depend on my own strength my own resources first and turn to god only as the last resort because whether we accept it or not god is not our first priority 
our own strengths our own things our own whatever these are our our first priorities are our top priorities and therefore we turn to them first and to god as the last resort there is this anecdote not an anecdote the story okay dear listeners so next week we'll hear about that story and that will be the final part too salam to you all for more episodes use the accessmedia.nz app for ios and android devices or subscribe to this podcast via spotify iheart radio or apple podcasts This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand on air.